What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, folks. Another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. What are we going to call this one? Any good names? What are we thinking here? The, wow. The overwhelming feedback. I'm going to go with what the ruck? Are you rucking kidding me? I'm sure you've heard all, all those horrible jokes before, haven't you, Annie? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of something that rhymes with tactical. Practical. Um, the Practical Tactical Injury Podcast. Okay. Okay. I, I can dig that. All right. And then, as you can probably tell by that eh, decent, we'll call it decent title there, today we're going to be talking about tactical injuries. And that is why we've got Annie, our head of tactical performance at Gifted Performance. We've got Mike, our head of when you have the broken, you can go to him. And then there's Thomas, the breaker of people. Before I met Thomas, my hips were healthy, my spine was fine. And my knees were full of glee. And now I'm fucked from head to toe, completely broken. So complete team here, team effort on the Tactical Injury Podcast today. Does anyone have any opening statements other than myself? Thomas, what do you got for the people? I mean, I don't know how relevant it is to the podcast, but, you know, I, I do remember somebody telling me I can handle anything. That was me. And it remains yeah. true. I can handle anything. Can my body handle anything? Ah, to be decided. So, so is, already has. is there like a metaphysical, like you are not your body? Argument yeah. Okay. yeah. It's like when I exit myself, I can handle whatever. Mike, Mike has just returned. You'll notice that Mike does not have his painful lighting sitting on a patient's table background anymore. He's got... What you could argue is even worse, a full Florida State background back there. It's, it's honorable that you can wear that with pride. How are you feeling about this season? Going to be a turnaround, or is it dumpster fire start to finish? Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> I really appreciate so, you asking that question. When he, <laughs> as he pleads the fifth, we can assume that it's going to be the second. Listen, all I'm going to say was... Excitement about hiring Mike Norvell, man, times must be rough. Annie, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you for asking that question as well. Yes, Annie's got a big, actually she's in the process of a coast-to-coast -coast move, which I can only imagine is the worst thing. I've never been, mad. never been more mad to be packing my stuff up again. Um, quick update from the great state. I use the word great very carefully there of California. How are the fires? Are we under control? Um, we are a lot better than we were a couple of weeks ago. Um, but new fires are, are constantly popping up. It's, it's, it seems to be under control where I'm at right now. Uh, and in the Bay area, it got really hairy about two weeks ago. It did slowly get under control. So we seem to be better. There's a few more sprouting up, but it's not, it's not just crazy pandemonium like it was. People are going to listen to this in like a year and they're going to be like, what the hell are they even talking about? But that is the world of podcasting. All right. Witty banter. Are we done? I'd say we call it there. Let's call the witty banter there. All right. Now let's get into it a little bit about some tactical injuries here. I want to pose my first question to Mike. So Mike is just returning home from a deployment. So he might have some intimate information here on 
injuries in this specific population. And the question I wanted to, to phrase to you or to pose to you rather is how common are injuries in the tactical population? And if you could break that down a little further, break the injuries down into acute, smaller injuries, nag. Um, I believe our friends across the pond in the UK call them niggles, opposed to career-ending injuries. Mm, okay. It's a real well, word. Look it up. Yeah, if you're uh, listening to the audio, Mike just gave me a dirty look. I, no, no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, first of all, um, <clears throat> I just want to say before we kind of get into it is that anything that we talk about here today is not, you know, the official stance or uh, stance of the Department of Defense, United States Air Force, et cetera. Everything's personal anecdote or belief of myself representing myself slash gift of performance here, not the Department of Defense. Very good. Um, so yeah, so you know, I would I would say that you know injuries are common. How common they are is difficult to really break down. We do capture a lot of it, but you always have to kind of consider, you know, what do we define as an injury? If you asked a bunch of different people, you'd probably get a bunch of different answers, and therein lies the problem with you know good data collection. I do have some stats that I've collected because you know I've gone around trying to talk this up to leadership at various places and stuff like that, but you know. Non-combat musculoskeletal, meaning, you know, like your aches and pains, bumps and bruises, things like that are responsible for like 75% of our like non-deployers. So the whole purpose of being in the military is to be able to be ready to go to war. And 75% of those who cannot is due to something such as, you know, chronic low back pain, shoulder pain, et cetera, things of that nature. This is a pretty big problem because it results in 25 million duty days lost and it's a $3.7 billion healthcare burden per year. So it's like a pretty big problem. Um, how we would kind of narrow it down more specifically into like, you know, acute or chronic, I don't necessarily have those figures. I would say that I generally see quite a bit more um, like chronic overuse conditions, fewer acute uh, like traumatic sports injuries, but a lot of it has to do with the population that you serve. If you were a part of like a uh, like an embedded team or something like that, where people were maybe a little bit uh, like higher level with the activities they're doing, you might see more uh, like acute knee sprains, acute like shoulder injuries, things of that nature that I just don't tend to see every day yeah, where I've been so far. Okay. And now let me pose a question to, to Annie or Tom, you guys can jump in as you see fit. The injuries that Mike was talking about, the most common injuries, the low back pain, the shoulder injuries, is this more a case of these are problems that are inevitable to the demands of either getting ready for what's going to be asked of them, or is it more of an issue of program design leading into um, whether it be a, a clearance exam or, or kind of what you do during deployment, things like that? Um, if I can lead off, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's an anecdote or saying, I guess, about um, outcomes really are the, the result of the intersection of fitness and luck. Um, so there's, there's a certain amount of these outcomes that, you know, they're unavoidable. Um, just as in, you know, a contact sport, uh, things happen. You get into kinetic, kinetic environments, uh, especially with the, the traumatic or the, the acute injuries. Um, sometimes, no matter how prepared you are, you know, something bad can happen. Um, but the uh, the degree of preparation, I, I think, is uh, is the part that we really want to focus on. Is you can't uh, eliminate injuries and you can't eliminate lost time, but you can certainly uh, trim the very low hanging fruit off of that that tree with uh, some intelligent, you know, management good practices. Uh oh. And he's muted. Mic's off. <laughs> <laughs> I might add on to that a little bit there. Um, as I was looking through um, different research bits, um, I found that 50% of injuries reported that were not acute, um, which was most, most injuries are not acute, they're nagging injuries, um, were exercise related or overuse in the military. Um, 
which was actually not the case with LA uh, law enforcement and firefighter. Well, we might get into that a little bit later, but um, if that is the case, then overuse injuries are absolutely something that you can at least start to manage on the front end with your programming um, and with getting people physically prepared. I think where people tend to go amiss is they either overreach right in their programs a little bit too too close to a deployment and they're not taking it as kind of a year round approach or um, they simply get into a situation that they weren't prepared for at all. So um, with most of those injuries being overuse or acute or um, uh, chronic issues, I think that we can start to look into how do we, how do we kind of bulletproof ourselves against that. Again, there's going to be different situational injuries like um, compression injuries that are seen highly in uh, airborne units or something of that nature. And then different injuries when you go into dive teams or, or various specialty teams, but by and large, the things that are causing those missed days and those a vast amount of dollars are going to be preventable, which is a little bit embarrassing. So when we look across populations, Annie, is there kind of like a commonality across different tactical populations in what method of training or what modality of training results in injury the most? Is it, you know, rucking for long distance running? Is it tree branches falling on forest rangers? What are the most common kind of like cause of injury and then effect that you see? I, I would assume it's tree branches. That has to be it. Tornadoes. Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, kind of what I see the most of is lower extremity injuries or overuse injuries. Um, and that's always going to be a, not always, it's often going to be an overuse injury. So what I see a lot of is shin splints and, and Mike, you might be able to see if this is congruent to what you're seeing is shin splints, knee injuries, um, sprains, strains, tears that come from overuse, overreaching, overexertion, um, largely in the military. I do think that there are some modalities of training that I don't find be terribly applicable due to the risk to reward ratio. One of those being running with your ruck. I don't do a whole lot of that. Very, very situationally will I do that. And for the majority of, let's say I have somebody that's getting ready for a 40 mile ruck, I don't tend to have them rucking, but once a week, once every other week at all. And they're just stepping it out and they're getting their foot turnover work uh, unloaded. And I think that I've seen I've seen quite a few programs that are not me, that would never be me, that are running with their rucks or focusing on speed with their rucks because it kind of makes some sort of meathead sense that if you want to be good at it, you should do it. But I see a lot of injuries with that. And I deal with a lot of people that have to rehab from that for sure. Have you ever seen someone that's like, okay, if I want to get good at running with, let's say a 50 pound ruck, how about I run with a 150 pound ruck? Cause then I'll be super good with the 50 pounder. Yeah. People think that if they train slower, they will suddenly be faster. And I don't know why that is, but yes, absolutely. People slow themselves down all the time with weighted exercises, but you see that in sports in the strength and conditioning community as well, where you've got people practicing weighted throws, practicing, you see that in like the real like muddy brain strength and conditioning world broadly, but absolutely you'll see people with a hundred pound rucks and maybe a prowler behind them with a like a sled around their hips. I mean, I see bands, crazy. bands and chains, bands, bands and chains, chains, more bands, more chains. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, go into a little bit of kind of like the running mechanics behind why people are running into issues, running <laughs> into yeah. issues with like shin splints. And I believe it's called anterior compartment syndrome. That's, that is something that can occur. Yeah. Big words. Um, big yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's big brain time. Um, I've got I mean, all the big words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that a lot of that probably depends mostly on just like their like readiness to it. I mean, there's like, you know, you could look into the research. There's some that say, you know, like somebody's more of like a heel strike. They're going to have more uh, like ground reactive forces being transmitted up their, you know, lower extremity, uh, which, you know, some could say causes problems possibly so, but there's also been, um, you know, analysis of a lot of different like running styles and people who don't have pain, uh, don't have issues and they don't always run with like this perfect, uh, you know, like four foot landing pattern at all. So I look at that for sure. Um, with, with people, but more than anything, it's all about kind of trying to get them to actually give themselves time to prepare for like a test, uh, 
most of the lower extremity injuries I see, which is a ton of what I see, um, just like you were saying, Annie, is that um, they just started trying to prep for their PT test in like three weeks. They don't generally actually work out. So, um, you know, they decide that, okay, I need to start training now. So I'm going to have done nothing for, what is it, 49 weeks. I have three weeks to prepare for this test. I'm now going to try to front load all of that training into that time frame, um, And then, you know, sure enough, by, you know, end of week two, they are crushed and they're coming to see me because their test is tomorrow and they don't know what to do. And, um, and yeah, so really it's more about kind of trying to figure out, okay, let's like try to have a better plan for next time. Something that builds up a little bit more gradually. And that's where, you know, I don't, I don't always work with like teams where I have like intricate control over like their programming and stuff like that. So all I can kind of do is lend suggestions, try to educate as best I can. And, you know, that's where I try to kind of really have the most impact is telling them, okay, this one, like, there's probably not much you can do, but for next time, you know, how about you give yourself like eight weeks or just never stop exercising, just exercise more all the time. Um, yeah. So I would say more than like the specific mechanics, it's more about just like trying to get some sort of like a baseline of a, a physical fitness to build from and, you know, where it's necessary. We certainly do look at the mechanics. Now, are these injuries, these overuse injuries that you're talking about, are these a relatively new phenomenon, something that's been happening for decades, or or, or what's the what's what do you see here? I mean, I, I would say it's been going on. I don't know if I have uh, access or like the numbers off the top of my head. You also got to consider too, like what we define as injury. That's that's the first thing that may have changed over the course of you know so many decades. There might have been a time where if you're running around with shin splints that's not the type of thing that you like report to medical for whereas now uh in like the training environment especially where you start to see a lot of those like bone stress issues it's like pretty much like mandated that you know you report if you're having like pain with running and then they go through to make sure you don't have a you know a stress fracture or something of that nature so i think that you know cultural norms have probably shifted what we define as injury and that may have resulted in higher numbers i don't i don't have them off the top of my head though Thomas, you look like you have something to say. Oh, no, sorry. I was trying to get my dog to be quiet. Just deep I do. In thought. I have a question. I've got one. Um, Mike, what do you, do you see that reporting is skewed from, I've seen people that have an injury for sure. Like they definitely need to go see a physical therapist. I'm not a physical therapist. Something's going on. Something's off and it's been off for longer than a week. And they tell me that they're actually afraid to report any type of medical uh, you know, blights in fear of something in fear of maybe not being able to go to a school, not being deployable, not being able to, whatever it is. Do you, do you find that that might be skewing those stats as well? Totally. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, it totally depends on the population. If I'm seeing, you know, uh, I don't want to like mention any sorts of like specific jobs off the top of my head, but let's just say like those who are not like soft, basically um, just like typical, uh, everyday line folks, which, you know, fine, but, um, you know, there's not necessarily that like elite level of performance that has to be maintained. Um, and I, I think that with those individuals and, and, you know, it's not unanimous. Sometimes they tell me, oh, you know, I just kind of tried to deal with, deal with it for so long. So I didn't want to get kicked out of the military or something, which, which doesn't happen, uh, all at once. Like maybe it, it once did perhaps. Um, but, you know, definitely with like the soft guys, they are generally, um, especially if you're not embedded with them um like they don't want to just come to the hospital to come see you and will generally downplay whatever's going on um that's been my experience at least so totally something that you do see mike when you say when you say like soft or when you say line folks um, oh, you say yeah. these these different people like they might report injuries a little differently because maybe they're incentivized not to report injuries because they, they can keep going. Can you kind of define the levels of what we're talking about here and why some people might not report these injuries in an effort to kind of like continue with the training? Like why would they do that if they're clearly injured? Sure. So like, so for example, and again, this is not to like say that, you know, people who are working uh, finance or working personnel do not have like jobs that matter or anything like that. It's just less physical. Okay. So that's kind of what I'm trying to get across there. Um, so at, at Eglin, where I'm at, we have people who go through like uh, ranger school pipeline, uh, they do swamp phase there. And sometimes they'll make their way over here. The thing about that is if they have to do that, 
um, they can only miss like a certain number of days until they have to like recycle. And uh, I mean, for one thing, you don't want to do that because it kind of sucks. Like you just want to kind of get it over with. And the other thing is like the people who are going through those pipelines and stuff like that are pretty like type A, highly motivated or else they wash out, I guess. Um, and they kind of just want to stick it in for some reason. And I, I'm not like that. That's not my cup of tea. I don't want to do any of that stuff. So if I was uh, broken and in, uh, in one of those pipelines, I would probably uh, ring the bell relatively quickly. I would not be the type who would want to just stick it out. But there are people who just like personality wise are driven to do that. Um, you know, it's kind of like an elite cultural thing inside the military to, you know, make it through one of those schools, make it onto a team, et cetera. Um, so a lot of times it's, you know, maybe there's some incentive to want to not report because it could keep you from getting there, uh, as quickly as you would want to, or at all. So, yeah, I would say that that's kind of, uh, with regards, to, you know, like the special forces, special operators types of people. Um, whereas, you know, if you're in like maybe a lower stakes type job, like you're uh, like working finance or something like that, it's maybe not the end of the world. If you're on a profile for six weeks, you can still do your job, et cetera, stuff like that. So maybe a little bit more uh, likely to report if something is bothering them in their day to day. Okay. So now we kind of covered the lower body injuries, the kind of like the, the shin splints, the overuse of that kind of lower compartment. You also mentioned low back pain. So I want to kind of like phrase the question to the entire group. Everyone kind of jump in as you see fit. What are or what are some of the kind of high impact, low investment strategies that you see to help with certain issues? Let's start with, let's say, low back pain. That's another one that you guys identified there. So what are some things that people who might be listening to this in this situation with suffering from low back pain right now, what they can do? in their day-to-day -day life to kind of help with exactly that? Well, I'll start, sure. Yeah. Um, so I think when I get somebody that does have low back pain, I try to look to see if there's any identifiable cause for that back pain and if it's chronic or it's an acute situation. Um, and then I do a little bit of um, movement analysis and uh, that, might look, that might look like you're just standard overhead squat test very rarely does it in there though and i try to see if there's something identifiable that i can see do they have tight hamstrings um do their glutes are they uh, do they have some sort of pelvic tilt do they have some sort of st structural um or maybe postural fix that can be instantly solved without um, referring them out to a physical therapist or something of that nature and we work on movement patterns and retraining those movement patterns within that what i see a lot of is people that don't know how to use their hips they don't know how to use their glutes um, they have tight hamstrings and it's it's very similar to what you see outside of the military as well and i try to see if that is our first step in, into fixing that problem alleviating that issue and getting them to utilize their body a little bit better a little bit more efficiently it just starts for me it starts with um a low a low risk movement analysis test. If it looks like something I, I is out of my scope, I definitely have to refer them out, but that's where I start with them. Okay, Mike. Oh, Thomas took himself off mute. Thomas has Ooh. something to say. Let's hear it, Thomas. Well, get in there. And kind of to, I guess we'll, we'll let Mike wrap this up because he's the one who, who really does the, the therapy for a living. Um, but when I've got a, a client that's got a specific overuse issue or something nagging, um, really the first place I start with them is uh, kind of between the ears and we start talking about what their pain is and what their pain isn't. Um, I try to get pe people, I try to understand where they're coming from when they're describing discomfort to me and uh, what their kind of general attitude about it is. Um, and we talk about, you know, something hurting doesn't mean that they're, they're physically mechanically broken and that there's uh, there's something wrong with them or, or irreparable or anything like that. And then, uh, you know, once once I've had that conversation, I usually move to kind of taking a, a deeper look at uh, how they move, like Andy said, and then also uh, how they move in the context of their programming and what we've been doing. So, um, you know, I've, I've got a, a guy who's training right now for a marathon row and, um, and so he's spending a lot of time doing a lot of hip hinging. And we looked at, uh, you know, how his back squat may have been affecting that. He was getting some overuse. And we're looking at his back squat, and he's kind of a, had a little bit of a hip dominant pattern in that. So we're really overloading 
this already highly stressed movement pattern with uh, with heavy weights, you know, multiple times during the week. So we backed off and we, we found some ways to train around it. And, uh, and then, you know, all the while uh, continuously emphasizing that the goal is resilience and that there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You may be just a little squeaky and, uh, and, and your body is, is sending you that signal, but it's not necessarily a, a determinant thing for, uh, for how well your body is working. Uh, you know, so, so we kind of, kind of summarize, we, we would communicate first, um, you know, kind of, kind of set appropriate expectations and attitudes. And then we move from there to uh, load analysis, both from a, a movement and a programming perspective and uh, adjust as necessary and try to find the, the sweet spot to where we can move them forward um, and, and, you know, turn the volume down gradually on that discomfort. Mike, you have anything to add there? Because I got a question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to kind of say, you know, combo of both of those things um, pretty much, uh, you know, uh, assuming also you've like screened out like all the medical stuff too. So, you know, if they're not getting better with those things, that's where, yeah, you know, referring is appropriate because then they can, you know, provider can screen out any of the, uh, the scary stuff and hopefully all that's negative and good to go. But oh, besides that, those are just kind of the strategies that you use um, in a nutshell. So, yeah. I think Thomas brought up something really good when he said that he, he screens out what's between the ears. Do, do you think that with kind of just the nature of what's expected of those in this specific population in terms of high speed, high stress lifestyle, that this is a bigger contributing factor? What's between the ears that kind of like that extra stress added on? Do you think that's a, a bigger contributing factor than the general population when it comes to injuries? I don't know if I'd say like, bigger i i guess it could be for sure um it'd be hard to um hard to quantify that though uh everybody's got stuff right um so yeah i guess you know for certain individuals probably so depending on you know because you, you can't just like the tactical population is like saying the human population sort of um because it does get really really specific um and so for some specific individuals um who are in those like high pressure situations, uh, you know, like EOD, um, you know, when you have like your pararescue stuff like that, like where like the situation is like life and death, then yeah, you know, maybe you tried there, there's like a lot more to kind of trying to, uh, figure out like, you know, is that low back pain that's bothering them? Um, cause that could be a, uh, that could be a major issue if it was something that kept them from, you know, doing their job to the fullest. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, it'd be hard for me to really say, honestly, I don't, I don't know if I could, confidently say yeah it's uh more in the military population less in the military population i'd say that if if um humans are weird about discomfort and every single human i've worked with when they feel more sore than they felt regularly they start to ask questions and low back is a really dodgy one because you hear the horror stories of what a low back can manifest into um i have just general runners that are that start running and their low back starts to get tight or fatigued and even fatigue in that low back they start to overthink it overthink it overthink it but i think i see that in congruent patterns that i see it in the military whereas anytime anything's off they are going shit something is ruined and then we have to talk about it when it maybe just be like, I don't know. Something I also have to say to, to lifters all the time is like, you know, it feels heavy because it's weight and it is heavy, but that's kind of part of the game here. Yeah, you feel fatigued because you're training endurance. It's fatiguing. I hate you. So I know, and, and I know Mike and I have had offline conversations about this in the past, but uh, specifically in strength sports, uh, there's kind of this culture towards like uh, catastrophizing and uh, like injury martyrdom uh, where, where people tend to view like, well, I tore a pec and a tricep and my, my biceps twice. They, they tend to view that as a, um, you know, like extra street cred, you know, in the, in the world of strength sports because it's like, oh, I'm such a warrior. I've, I've destroyed my body for my plastic trophy at the Holiday Inn Express Ballroom you know, on a random Saturday. And, um, and that, that's a big hurdle to get over because people, people sort of inculcate that and like internalize it. Um, you know, at first it's, it's harmless cause it, they're just like, 
writing little like uh, you know hero narratives about themselves. Uh, but when things, if, if they have a bad run of training, and and they've decided that they've had these injuries, and a lot of times they're not diagnosed professionally, they're self-diagnosed, or they've they've gotten on some you know guru PT uh, Instagram account and been told that they've got some sort of major fascial disorder, you know something. There's there, there's no limit to the silliness, but um, and and so once they they get into a spot where maybe training isn't going well, their competition results aren't great. And then they've got some negativity around the outcomes, the uh, those attitudes about their body and uh, injury sort of start to really negatively manifest. And I wonder if uh, maybe there's, and you guys can speak more to this, um, obviously with your experience, uh, given the sort of uh, subcultures that exist within military and police populations of the um the, the sort of uh, career martyrs and, uh, and and guys who were really into like I'm I'm giving this all I got because this is all I got type attitudes. Uh, if, if maybe there's a similar trend uh, that you've seen uh, where, where people are more apt to perceive injury because injury kind of carries uh, some status, uh, you know, maybe maybe not outwardly but inwardly. It reads as a sacrifice, right? And yeah. it is a population that is huge about sacrifice. And so I think there could be a narrative there. And I'm, I, I'd have to really sit here and think about if I see that a lot, because on the flip side of things, other iron sports I've been, other facets of fitness I've been involved in, what I do know is that long-term relying on your body to create uh, your identity is a bad idea. And that is something I will absolutely take to my grave with me while trying to make my body part of my <laughs> like identifying feature, right? Like in the same breath, I know that's a bad idea. So it's, I'd have to really sit here and think about the injuries I've seen, which I've seen a lot at this point, and, and Mike more so than me. Um, I'm trying to decide their attitude towards it. Usually they are really eager to get it behind them more so than I would say is reasonable. And that is where the problem comes up is, no, you cannot go off light duty. You can't until it's fixed or you're going to be back here again. And understanding the athlete injury cycle is something that I feel like I'm constantly, constantly like hammering in there more so than I would say when I see injuries in the civilian populations. Yeah, I know, I know Mike said this before. I, I think the way he phrased it is, is really great. Um, you know, talk about um, you're not entitled do anything you know mm. our, our bodies are a physical thing and, it, and they go away eventually uh and um like you said you know wrapping up your identity and what your body can do right now is really dangerous um because it's all temporal and um the uh the idea and, and we struggle with this a lot in strength sports is that guys feel entitled at 28 to train like they did at 22 you know mm. or uh you know or when, when they were in college and could sleep 12 hours and eat 5,000 calories a day versus when they've got a, a day job and a kid and a you know, family and, and they want to, you know, keep their nose to the grindstone in the same ways uh, and they feel entitled to it like they should or they have to. Um, and, and there's probably uh, some parallels there uh, as guys get through where, you know, well, you know, I've I've run X number of miles a week for for ten years, and well, you can't do that anymore because you just can't handle the volume. Well, it's uh, you know, there, there, there's there's some mental wiring to be overcome there. Mike and I have talked a lot about that in the past with with letting people understand that uh, the dose of their training um, is less important than the response itself. Right. All right, so for everyone who just tuned out, because that was the most depressing shit they've ever heard in their entire life, Mike, I need you to come in here. You're doing a lot of this, but I need you to do a lot of this. Because as a 28-year-old who wishes he could train like he was 22, and as someone who wishes he could eat 5,000 calories but currently sits behind a desk all day, please, please, for all the love of God, come in and say, you know what, Thomas, for once in your robotic life, you're wrong. Beep boop. You've miscalculated. Please, please. 
So, I mean, it, it's all it's all context dependent, of course, right? So, um, there's the the nuance cop out for you. Whew. Yeah. So, so for you, you might be good, man. Uh, <laughs> but I do think there's like a lot of truth to it. Is uh, you know, especially if I and all I can generalize is like the military side. I can't generalize to other like tactical populations or anything. But um, there's like a career progression in which you know someone starts at like a lower rank, lower experience level. And over the course of a career, they progress to doing, you know, more supervisory management type stuff. Maybe they spend less time doing their initial job. That's a thing that we do for some reason. We invest a lot of time and money into like teaching you how to do everything really well. And then we make you stop doing the job so that you can have other people do it. Um, so, so I think that there can be some like identity, um, issues that go on because, you know, no one wants to be the, uh, you know, the supervisor who's like, you know, he can't work out with his troops or something like that. You know, they want to keep it up and stuff like that. And, you know, while there are strategies that can be put into place, not everybody has that um, understanding of you know, how to structure, you know, a good program. Um, even like real basic stuff, just like real basic habit type stuff that is kind of standing in their way. Um, because, yeah, when you're 19 years old and, you know, eating 5,000 calories, sleeping 12 hours a day, et cetera, you can get away with a lot that wiggle room becomes less and less, obviously, as your responsibilities and, uh, and age, et cetera, go up, you have a little less to play with there. So I think it just becomes more important to be like conscientious of that. And, um, you know, when I have those conversations with people, it's not telling them, oh yeah, we just can't do that, right? It's kind of like reframing, like, well, if you wanna be able to do that, you might be able, you might need to kind of maybe pull from another area or go about it differently, basically. And I find that when you kind of present it as like, you know, okay, it's just different, not like worse, et cetera. Cause I see a lot of, um, a lot of like middle-aged people who are in pretty, pretty good shape. And so, so I, I don't, I don't buy that. You just like, can't be in shape as you, as you age at all. But I do think you have to have laid the groundwork significantly. And if those habits are not in place, you know, it's not that you're playing catch up, but you don't really have the, uh, the benefit of just, letting things fall into place. You kind of got to be strategic with it. Yeah. And I was, I was probably a little bit, a uh, bit of a doer with that. Is that morose? You can't. We'll go with morose. <laughs> yeah, um, more, more that uh, as you get older, as you, you have more, you have um, to be a little more selective with, with your inputs and maybe be a little more strategic with which outputs you're trying to get instead of just throwing everything at the wall at once and getting what you want to stick. You have to figure out what you want first um, and, and train appropriately. You guys that's, should see my that's, true. That's you guys should see my true coach each week. Thomas leaves me these notes where it's like you're a week older, so therefore you're a week worse. <laughs> Prepare to lift significantly lighter weights. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know, Thomas, that I am, a, like Mike said, I, I that's, this is what I took from what Mike said. I've laid the groundwork. I am the middle-aged man, best shape of my life. Mike, I have a question for you, and this might be kind of like, a, maybe you got some anecdotes for me of what you've seen with, with your recent deployment in terms of injury risk. Was there anything in your most recent trip that kind of stood out to you that maybe you didn't expect, you hadn't seen before, an injury where you were like, whoa, kind of where did that come from? Anything like that that kind of stands out without obviously naming names? Oh, yeah, you know, Jim, his arm fell off one day. <laughs> he had lupus uh, or some shit. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, uh, I saw a lot of back and neck pain with radiating, like, nerve stuff going on too so we call it a radiculopathy um I, I i can't really figure out why that was yet but we did see i would say a lot more of them than i typically see you know maybe it's due to who knows right um but i think the biggest thing that i saw that really uh stood out to me was that whenever there would be like a new rotation that would come through there would always be you know maybe like two or three weeks later like kind of like a rush of people would come in because they got here two weeks ago um, you know, when, once COVID stuff started, it was like, yeah, they were in quarantine for two weeks and then they got out and they started like doing stuff around base, et cetera. And, you know, they'd always say like, oh, well, I think it's the beds or this out or the other. And I just think it kind of, to me, it goes to show that when you just like totally upset homeostasis, not just like physically, although that is part of it too, because a lot of times when people deploy, they're like, okay, sweet. I'm going to lose approximately 150 pounds. I'm going to drop my mile time down to four minutes. I'm going to lift 
uh, 2000 pounds. They have like all these like crazy goals. So they just start hitting it hard. They have like a lot, a lot of time to work out. It's pretty nice actually, as far as that's concerned. But if you go about it too, uh, what would be the word I'm looking for? If you go about it too aggressively at the start, you can burn out quickly. Compound in the fact that you've like taken this person out of their workplace, put them in a new workplace where they're now expected to work, you know, six, seven days a week for longer hours. They're away from their family. They don't have all the comforts of home. All these things like suddenly changed. I just think it really goes to show that when you just like upset homeostasis, there's going to be a reaction of some sort. And so kind of like reassuring people like, hey, like there's all these things going on right now. Stuff's going to settle down and, you know, probably this uh, pain or whatever is too. But, you know, while we're here, let's talk about not, uh, I don't know, running five miles every single day. Um, let's maybe talk about a, a, a different plan for you who's never run before. Um, so, so, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is just that, you know, people come in, they don't necessarily set themselves up to have a uh, sustainable, uh, sustainable lifestyle. So that was, that was kind of the big thing that stood out to me. Something that, that I've kind of always wondered is, do you, and I'm sure it's obviously very case dependent, but do you see a lot of resistance from individuals when you're out there like, hey, man, like maybe, you know, dial it down a little bit, stop trying to, you know, deadlift eight times a week, run your five miles and get your vertical jump to 56 inches all in your first two weeks out here. Do you get a lot of resistance or are people pretty receptive of that? Uh, I mean, like there are some people who just like don't want to listen and, you know, maybe I, to me, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, kind of get the impression that I receive a lot of resistance. Um, to me, I feel like I get my point across pretty quickly to people. Um, I don't know if that's like, I've, I've often wondered if that's cause I kind of come from a place where it's like, yeah, I, I also like work out a little bit and then, you know, they ask how much and I tell them and I'm, I always lift more than them, of course. So that's like, uh, that's a great idea if you ever want to like just kind of have that clout uh to throw around Oof. is to just be way stronger or bigger or like i can't mike i can't but you, you're you're more muscular than i am so i, I wish <laughs> thank you <laughs> but but i guess what i'm trying to say is like when you can kind of like speak from a place of like yeah like i also do this i'm not just like a like a pencil pusher who is just like telling you what to do i think you know that does go a long way with kind of establishing some uh some buy-in but yeah i mean of course there's gonna be people who are gonna be like no i'm gonna keep doing my thing and then you're just like okay well bye i guess um so yeah mike hands him a little note says here's your here's your here's your takeaway and it just says i deadlifted 675 what does that mean it's like yeah <laughs> i did so listen to your boy so mike as of listening to this Mike just got his big seven plate deadlift. The bag has been secured. Are we on our way to seven? The goal is now moving oh, up. Yes, yes, we're we're bumping up. We're we're recalibrating the the Tombot. Um, we're installing some new uh, some new features, Ooh. a new a new graphics card. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. So that's your takeaway right there. If anyone gives you resistance on what you tell them, just tell them that you're bigger, buffer, and swallow, and you lift more than them. And Flex that's, on them at yeah. any cost. Throw the clout at them. You know, I got I yes. know, a couple hundred likes on my Instagram post. I mean, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it or anything, but uh, people that's are what listening I do with to me, and it's not you. I don't know why. Yeah. So, Annie, a question for you now. Mm-hmm. Tom, Tom, I'm coming for you. So, you know, just. Just plug in your charger. Um, so from the prep standpoint, so from like a fitness te- test prep standpoint, where are the areas where you see people going wrong the most, coming out of it injured, or if they're not injured, they're coming out chronically underperforming. So that, you know, they go through their 12-week prep or whatever it is, t- time comes for the test, and they're just so beat up that they can't even perform on it. Mm-hmm. So... You know, um, we talked about a little bit on the last podcast, but when you have people that are doing these rush preparatory um, phases and they are nowhere near the mark, then you have a a pretty big situation where I say, hey, can you can you maybe aim for a different selection class or a different because you're just not ready and people will try to push the envelope anyway. Um, so I'm going to assume if people are coming to me and I'm giving them a program, I think the biggest thing I see is they're adding an extra volume. And really the, the most uh, efficient way and the most safe way to progress their program is to have 
a pretty controlled addition each week of volume if you're in increasing your aerobic base or your some sort of endurance. Um, and uh, Tom might be really into this, but if you're looking at people's like acute training load versus their chronic training load, you manage those things um, with pretty controlled additions each week. So people will add extra volume blowing that all to hell and they'll have inconsistent weeks, which makes their progress incredibly hard to track. And then further making that difficult is sometimes I will try to extrapolate pacing guides for people based on where I want, where I think they need to be and um, what duration of, of speed interval or something of that nature. And they will completely ignore what I'm saying and they will add extra volume and they just, and it's crap and it's all like junk miles. It's all like garbage work. That's, that's probably what I see quite a bit of. And then additionally, um, people end up in this really crappy middle ground of effort and output when it comes to speed development versus aerobic capacity or aerobic endurance. So they're easy days. I usually give some sort of heart rate cap, which varies 10 or 20 degrees and, and by age as well, but or 10 degrees, uh, um, beats per minute. Tom's got Tom, some. Don't, Brian don't. Few, hey, mute yourself <laughs> again. The people can't hear this, can't hear me. Yeah, Annie, keep going. Yeah, Tom has nothing to say. Yeah. Tom, that power down. <laughs> but people tend to let their easy days, they make their easy days much harder than they should be, and they blow out, through, they go through their um, heart rate cap or where they're supposed to be because they felt like they could, which is really very similar to when people have a good training day and they say this felt really easy so i went ahead until it didn't feel easy anymore it's like no let your easy days enjoy those days man like they, they should feel good let your easy days be easy and work on the adaptation that's kind of targeted there and then on their hard days they puss out i don't know why but they they underperform they might be fatigued because they went balls to the wall for 75 minutes on a saturday when i asked them to chill chill out um and so they have an underperform they just can't perform on their speed intervals so now they're operating at all times in this worthless middle ground of no adaptation so they're not becoming aerobically stronger or you know they're not getting more endurance because they've kind of blown it from an adaptation stance with their heart rate and any type of um, stimulus or change that might be and then they get over to speed interval and they just blow it and they can't fix they can't keep pace and it's not because what was programmed wasn't over the was an aggressive uh, volume. It was because they didn't keep the parameters in mind either day, and they won't adapt to this this worthless middle ground of kind of slow, but also not the slowest they can move. And so that's that's where I see a big one. And so what do people do when they're not progressing? Is they add more shit. They just add more volume, more junk miles, um, and that you know, combined with. They're fatigued now. They're moving crappy. Um, they're maybe not taking their rest days. They're just—it's just overused city. And even if it's perfectly programmed from the goddess herself of tactical performance, me—they are fucking it all up. I don't know what happens. That's now, Tweet. now you've learned the guru mentality. It's not <laughs> me. It's you. You will not get a bad plan, but you might suck. <laughs> Honestly, I have been so attacked this entire podcast. Rule number one, guys, don't attack the host. Don't come at me. Tom, unmute yourself, and I'm ready for it. I can, um, I can handle it. So, uh, so yeah, with, with regard to what Annie says, you know, um, abiding by the programming, first, first and foremost, you know, the plan is only as bullshit. your ability to follow the directions, you know? Um, and, and anybody who's ever put Ikea furniture together and wound up with, you know, something that's totally unrecognizable understand that, the, you know, the engineering only goes so far. There's some, some user input, right? Um, but the in terms of how to prevent uh, injuries um, in programming long-term, short-term, I, I think the, uh, the, the kind of metaphor that I like to use is that you don't want to you don't want to burn the soup. You don't want to burn the stew. Um, and so you can take that in the sense of, uh, you know, on a, on a mesocycle level, uh, looking at 8, 12, 16 weeks, you don't want to start at your, your maximal threshold for adaptation in terms of intensity or, or volume. You want to start at what you can get an adaptation from and add as necessary. Um, and depending on whether it's a... Uh, 
you're trying to develop intensity or volume, you know, floor or ceiling, um, how you, you change the loading as you go through uh, the program. Uh, I like to, and I'm, I'm a big proponent, especially with my, my CrossFit athletes, um, of heart rate data. Um, because, you know, especially if you've got some good standardized uh, modalities, like, like I, I really like using erging, uh, rowing as a, a way to create general fitness. Um, but, you know, I can, I can prescribe a piece, say a 10 by 500 meters with 60 seconds rest is kind of one of my staples. And I'll take that and uh, I'll have one of my guys row that every other week is one of his, his like normal program pieces. And we look at his heart rate data and I'll prescribe a pace. And he may stay at that pace for four or five repetitions because, you know, we're staying in that sweet spot with his heart rate. There's no need to, to shave seconds off of the, the pacing. Make him go faster if the body is still responding to that stimulus in the same way. I think people get caught up on progression as like a mandatory thing with their loading versus the outcome of training. So, you know, progression is really something planned to avoid the body meeting the demands and not exceeding them. Um, so you don't have to continuously raise the demands and people get kind of wired into this idea that like, well, every week you have to go faster or do more. Um, and you, you can really outrun yourself super fast doing that. Um, so especially, you know, with the more somebody's got on their plate in terms of training, like so with like Ryan and his CrossFit training, you know, um, he's got a lot of, a lot of plates in the air and, uh, if every one of those things progressed one increment every week, you know, he'd be absolutely destroyed. He, he may make great gains for like a month. And then if he, you know, turn around and look, look back and he's, uh, he's totally used up. And so where, where do you go when you've totally exhausted everything before you needed to, and you're, you know, you're, you're rowing. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's where all the places that anybody can go. <laughs> and even then you, you run into the same problem. Uh, you know, there's the, the, always more. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of an acute standpoint. And also from the, the bigger macrocyclic uh, long-term athletic development standpoint, I'm going to put my big brain hat on right now. We talk about don't burn the soup, then, then that extends to like methods, right? So, uh, so and if you've got a guy who's running, like you're probably not going to do a lot of really intense or intensive speed development for somebody who doesn't need it. You know, if they can take minutes off their 5K just by getting some good miles in, you know, and and learning to breathe and, and doing the basics, there's no need to uh, to go have them out running, you know, shuttles or, or doing any sort of advanced footwork, right? And um, right. and then in, in strength conditioning, there's there's a huge drive for people to get into advanced plyometrics and uh, advanced, you know. Eastern block shock techniques and, and all sorts of bullshit. Then you got kids that they're doing this with and they, the guys can't land a box jump, you know, in an efficient manner. And, uh, so, you know, once, once the nervous system experiences something, it's experienced it. And if, if you're introducing stimulus at a time that it's not an optimal stimulus, you know, in a long term perspective, you're really selling yourself short in terms of what you could get out of that. If the athlete's not ready for something, You've exhausted the initial adaptation when the body wasn't, you know, really ready to maximum adapt to it. I think a lot of this stuff comes back to what is the total amount that people can actually recover from? And people have this strange idea that if they inject certain other modalities into the system, that they'll be able to increase their recovery capacity. If I just implement cryotherapy, if I just get Graston twice a week, if I spend an extra 20 minutes foam rolling, if I increase my calorie intake by 50%, I'll be able to recover from anything. And it's like, no, now you're fat. You've got weird Graston bruises all over you. You spent $130 on a new foam roller and you still can't recover from anything. So I made a joke about drugs, but obviously outside of that pharmaceutical route, your recovery capacity is your recovery capacity. And Mike, I think you talk a lot about this and you do it, you wax on very eloquently about this when you talk about kind of fatigue management and how it comes back down to kind of just 
using the appropriate amount of load. So tell me a little bit more or, or talk a little bit about when we are putting together these programs to create readiness for the demands of the tactical population, what are the fatigue management strategies that work best or that, that are ideal? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And obviously it's gonna be dependent on the population again, of course, but I find that outside of just utilizing really basic, but sticking to the basic, like program design fundamentals, and again, this is not a situation that I find myself in often because I'm not generally working on like a uh, on like a team setting. I kind of got individual individuals scattered across different jobs, different points in their uh, their you know their lives essentially. But you know, I think the one thing that kind of makes sense for everybody is kind of making sure that they're taking care of themselves from like the whole person perspective. So you know, I think sleep is a big one, uh, sleep, nutrition, hydration, stuff like that. I am not a specialist in any of those things, but I don't necessarily think you need to be a specialist just to like talk with somebody as an adult, like, Hey man, like you, you don't need, you shouldn't be sleeping three hours and then drinking a bang and then smoking a whole pack of cigarettes and then going to work and then drinking another bang and then staying up all night playing video games. Like that's not, that's not good. That's not going to be good for you. So I don't, I don't think you need to have like a, uh, a certification to tell somebody like, you know, stop, stop doing that. Um, you can definitely get the, the heavy machinery in play, you know, uh, get them to the people who can maybe have a, a, uh, a greater role in behavior change. But I think you just have like an adult to adult conversation with people about like, hey, you need to make sure that you're like actually fueling your body and um, stop doing stuff that's like stupid. That's just like taking away from it for no reason, like, you know smoking and dipping which is unfortunately pretty uh pretty common especially in, in certain populations there so you know i i think those are like kind of some of the biggest things that you can do is just kind of trying to make sure that they're hitting those like big rocks if you will and then kind of trying to maybe place a little less importance you know you don't tell them like not foam roll don't go get grassed in if it's what you want to do you can't make them not do it but telling them like, hey, that's not going to be the thing that's going to make or break it for you. Um, not staying up until three o'clock in the morning playing uh, playing video games might have a, a difference that you notice, you know, a lot quicker. Yeah, and I think that can kind of be a, a tough discussion to have to, with someone like, hey, if I foam roll grass and whatever it is, can I do my insert insane training? And you're like, no, no, no. The problem isn't identifying what you can do to allow you to get away with the insane training it's let's address the training first if you still want to do all those other things go ahead and you know do all those other crazy things that you want to do that that's completely up to you so if we are and i'm going to outline some stuff here and you guys can let me know if i if i miss anything outline some things that are going to allow for recovery or facilitate recovery in this population. It's going to be, you know, dialing in your nutrition. This doesn't have to be perfect. You don't need to be neurotic. You don't need to be a bodybuilder, but shooting for a gram per pound of protein or for a gram of pound, a gram of protein per pound of body weight. There you go. Eat, you know, relatively nutritious, eat your fruits, some vegetables, some whole grains, eat enough calories. And I'm sure that this is also an issue that you guys run into where people are chronically under eating to fuel their performance, eating enough to fuel your performance, not so much that you're adding unnecessary body weight. What, what are we going to call an acceptable amount of sleep? Anywhere from, you know, seven to probably nine hours of sleep. Is that probably a good amount that we should yeah. assign to these individuals? Train, train with a reasonable amount of volume. Train with reasonable, smart goals that you can achieve over time. Build up some of that self-competence over time. Set yourself up for, for small checkpoints along the way. Um, train smart, eat, sleep, you know, supplementation, probably not going to save you, but you know, if you're struggling to hit your protein goals, a protein supplement can help a basic multivitamin. So when you are smoking your pack a day, you're still at least, you know, getting some vitamins as well, identifying those problem behaviors. So maybe it's chronically over caffeinating, over stimulating. Um, I'm sure that bang isn't the worst energy supplement that's being used out there or the, the, the worst stimulant that's being used. Um, what else? What did I miss? Fixed life, whatever your life stress is, that's a big one. I mean, stress is pretty non-discriminatorily handled within the body. And if you have a lot of stress that you're electing to opt into, be an adult, handle your shit. It's a big, big piece of advice I give people all the time. 
and not not advice I haven't needed at times myself. Okay, big source of stress in my life, wife and kids. What do I do? Full Casey Anthony? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I didn't perfect say, I segue. Your stress. Just said find a way to stress handle handle. <laughs> so um funny story mike i actually i i interned for a summer in pt like right when the casey anthony story was like a really big deal and the pt that i worked with all the clients that would come in he would tell them that i was dating casey anthony he'd be like oh yeah he goes oh to ucf he lives in orlando he's dating casey anthony you might have heard of her on the news <gasps> and all these like 70 80 year old south florida men and women bless their hearts would just have no i like i'm just here because i had a hip replacement and now we've got the significant other of a baby murderer. Alleged wow. baby murderer. An accomplished oh, murder man. in my room. So Jeez. I didn't I didn't last very long in that position. That's probably why, you know, I'm not much of a, a PT guy today. I'm more of a get injured than treat injury kind of guy. But I do have one final question, and it's for the group. All right. So let's remove, you know, ethics. Let's remove morals, if we haven't already. I think we just <laughs> did with that last... <laughs> last little aside from yours truly the path to super soldiers what is it how do we go down that route how do i create someone who can't be injured performs at their absolute best and can do all of the things that we just advised individuals not to is it you know pharmaceuticals is it cybernetics is it i mean is it nutrition what is it what's the route mike from an injury prevention standpoint how do we keep people injury free forever because we can't get injured. Full Steve yeah, Rogers. I, <laughs> uh, I don't think you can, honestly. Um, I think you can. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I don't think you can. Um, I think you can kind of just try to do the best that you can in all these other areas we've kind of discussed today to try to build as uh, comfortable a uh, of a base as you can to build from as much room for error as you possibly can achieve. But at the end of the day, stuff happens sometimes when we least expect it um but you know at least for like some of these like chronic overuse things you know maybe just relying on data to sort of give us a little indication just like when we need to pull back when we need to push stuff like that but those are those are going to be the the things that i would at least emphasize i can't really speak for other other areas Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I heard I heard I heard adamantium exoskeleton. Okay, very good point. I like what you said there. Annie, what did you have to add? What is that gym that all of the bodybuilders go to in like Korea or maybe it's in like what O2 gym maybe that That's like in Kuwait. It's in Kuwait. We yes. need a base. Okay. Mike, what you said was great, but I got different ideas. We have yes, a base. Perfect. And all these guys do is they train all year round that they're not deployed. They're also, we're, we're on some drugs, right? We're going to do some drugs. Um, we're going to do something that is a stimulant in the daytime, something like Adderall that doesn't make your heart explode. And then I think we're going to do some, some sort of drugs to, uh, to supercharge your training. We're going to sleep like bricks. What's a sleep aid that's just not stoppable? Um, Ambien. Tranquilizer. Oh, Ambien. Okay. We sleep with uh, Ambien of some sort and we give them no other responsibilities. Uh, we choose individuals with no ties back home. I mean, we're going to have to breed them in a lab. We're going to have to breed Obviously. them in a lab for sure. And they're going to have to have... This is, yeah, this is like, a, this is like our 50-year plan here. This isn't going to be, we can't overnight this. We can't Amazon Prime, our super soldier. But yeah, I like where your head's at. So we some sort of... The winner of the games, we breed them every year. Yes. However they'd like to do it. And then... Um, all I heard is that you want to breed me and Sarah Sigmund's daughter. I love that idea. It's a great idea. Let's roll with that. I perfect. Yep. The she said of that. Games. She said it. Um, Tom, we breed those, and we put them in a special little compound. Tom, what do you got? Yeah. Do we lose everyone else on the chat? So I think. Uh, oh. I think that the the secret the, the military already has it figured out, and it's it's the same way that the Chinese produce their just legion of awesome Olympic athletes uh, in sports that don't require being all, you know. Um, and it's it's literally, you just have about a billion people. And so the, the military has figured this out is the way to create, uh, you know, these unbreakable soldiers is just to constantly replace them with new 22-year-olds. 
Yeah. There you go. And so Tom is going with throw a lot of people at the problem, let it kind of sort itself out. Yeah, yeah just I like that. Just continuously throw people at the problem. When they break, That's you don't... a really good idea. All right, so Mike, adamantium, exoskeleton, Annie, breeding procedures, as well as ties to O2 Jim. I know the owner. I'll, I'll shoot him a text message. Mm. Thomas, need to throw a lot of people at the problem. Listen, if you stuck around this long in the podcast, then you just got the best takeaway that you could possibly ask for. And for that, all we ask is for, you know, a like, a comment, a subscribe. Go hit us up on Instagram, at Gifted Performance. We are the tactical population, injury specialists. That's Mike. Hit him up. Mike, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on on the World Wide Web. Streets. Um, yes, yes. Um, on Instagram, Mike Taylord PT, because I'm the, the Lord of PT. Um, oh, my, did you yeah. just think of that? No, no. Someone said it, and it's too late for me to change it now. So, but but I I, can't, I, I read it every time I see it now. Mike Taylor DPT. You can find me there, or uh, or on the the gifted page. Gun show. Let them know yeah. where you is. I is I be living in. You can follow us at Gifted Performance. Or you can follow me at Annie Gun Show on Instagram. Probably soon on Facebook too. I think I'm gonna come back. That Annie Gun me- Spicy memes and bicep flexes. That's what I'm there yep. for. Tom, yep. uh, it's Tomas No H underscore Neil on the Instagrams. That's it. It's the only place you can find him. What about Twitter? I feel like you have. I feel like you have a Twitter. LinkedIn. He did. No. What's your LinkedIn? No, we don't. No, no one actually exists on Twitter. That's <laughs> so we're all lurking, confirmed. Because I lurk the shit out of Twitter. I, I don't know. have a. I, 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 I do a lot of shit posting, and that's exactly why I'm not putting my handle out of the podcast. I can so, confirm he has a Twitter, as do I. So Thomas he and I are both kind of in Twitter like all a, the time. A stalemate. We're, we're both going to not reveal one another's uh, handles. What's the uh, what, what what what's the what's the level of shit posting, Mike? Is it is it severe? No, I think I think I think it's very severe shit posting. Uh, I think you're. I think you need to recalibrate. Combat. Really <laughs> overheating. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's that bad. We're just coming out of Miami week, and you're saying that? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't been following close enough. I don't know. Uh, what do you mean? Mike just deleted all the tweets Saturday nights. What happened? <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the Jaguars game, right? Heesh. <laughs> Wow. After that heated exchange, I'll I'll play us out. I am at the underscore squadfather at Gifted Performance on Instagram. That's where you can find me. It's where you can find us. Shoot us a DM with your questions so I can send all of those to Thomas or Mike or Annie because I don't know the answer to just about anything. That's why I hire these sweet, beautiful, and handsome experts of mine. You guys are so loved, so treasured. It's great to have you here. Folks, Come back for the next one. I can promise you it will be even better if that's possible. Drop a like, a comment, a subscribe, because the YouTube algorithms stay fucking your boy. And I'm not going to be held down for this long. I'll see you on the next one. Peace.